Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another terrific episode of Cisco Champion Radio. So the question today is, what do you know about machine reasoning? Well, if you're interested, we are going to take the next 30 to 40 minutes to discuss just this, and specifically what Cisco is doing around this innovation. And of course, it wouldn't be Cisco Champion Radio if we didn't have an amazing panel of experts and Cisco Champion hosts to help guide this conversation. Okay, so let's kick this conversation off. Jeff, we'll start with you. Can you introduce yourself and what it is you do at Cisco? Thanks, Emily. This is uh, Jeff Schaefer, and I'm the Vice President of Products and Strategy for our software-defined network transformation uh, teams, and very specifically looking at everything that we need to invest in in order to simplify the network experience and being able to do that in the most efficient, cost-effective way. And so very broadly responsible for all of our, our software investments and software controllers. Wonderful. Katie, same for you. Who are you and what do you do at Cisco? Thanks, Emily. My name is Katie, and I am the product manager of the Machine Reasoning Engine. I also oversee other platform features, but my main focus is for the Machine Reasoning Engine, and we'll get into that later. All right. Michael, you're up next. I'm Michael. I'm um, a Cisco champion. I work for Axions in the Netherlands. Uh, Axions is a, a fairly big uh, for uh, moving on to uh, MSP uh, functions to uh, my function within Axions is uh, I'm a technical consultant and I specialize in intent-based networking. Super cool. Shai, tell us about yourself. Hi, I'm Shai. I'm a, also a Cisco champion and I'm the director of network services for San Jose University. And uh, we've been uh, really working a lot with uh, DNA Center and trying to really leverage all of the latest cool enhancements and uh uh, and features that uh, DNA Center brings to us. So it's been a very exciting two years to kind of watch the progression. Great. All right, Jeff, kicking it back to you. Can you give us a bit more background and context around today's topic? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Emily. So in general, I think collectively we all have a shared experience, which is our objective is to help our uh, customers digitize their network environments in support of their digital transformation initiatives. Uh, one of the key things about digitizing the network is the objective to provide a simplified user experience. And we've all, you know, we all have a, an understanding of what that is. We can go into any Google, uh, we can go into any Starbucks and we can connect to the uh, Wi-Fi network. And so this whole idea about how do you simplify that user experience but we've become increasingly complex as we go through the software transformation of the networks themselves with underlays and overlays and a proliferation of new technologies and protocols. And as the back of that tapestry has become more complex, the question is, is how do we bridge the skill gap with the engineering teams? Um, how do we reduce the latency and more quickly uh, be able to use analytics 
and insights in order to improve the reliability by predicting problems and resolving them uh, proactively, or improve the resilience of networks by being able to quickly troubleshoot problems, both doing that more quickly, reducing human latency, and being able to do that more efficiently. And so that is an entire kind of new opportunity for, for network engineering teams around how do you apply analytics into the, to, into the networks themselves. And that's a broader topic around artificial intelligence. And there's a number of areas of investment that we make there. And one of them very specifically is with machine reasoning. And we'll talk more about that in today's, pod, in today's uh, uh, discussion. I mean, um, <clears throat> Jeff, this is Shai. So, I mean, we, we hear a lot about MRE in the industry uh, today. And can you just elaborate just a little bit more about MRE specifically, what it is for the listeners? Yeah, Shai, so happy to do that, but maybe a little bit of context around artificial intelligence in general. So whenever anyone talks about AI, they actually mean a broad set of technologies that can be applied to solve problems. And in general, when we think about AI with respect to Cisco and how we're approaching analytics of the network and generating insights, we have one category of machine learning where, for example, we have been able to uh, you know, we've, we've been able to derive kind of predictive formulas, apply it to the data sets and infer or personalize, uh, you know, kind of and, and predict problems that way. And so that's kind of around machine learning, but it, it's predicated on having a good model that we can, a predictive model. A second kind of category of, of analytics is what we call deep learning. Uh, deep learning is we don't know what the predictive model is, but we have a broad data set and we're able to actually analyze these data sets, like for with example, cluster analysis and derive the model, which then becomes a predictive model. And then the third major category is this whole idea of machine reasoning. And what machine reasoning is, is how do we, how do we mimic uh, what would normally be kind of the, the, the cognitive leaps uh, that people can make when they're troubleshooting and, you know, troubleshooting problems. And so that's one of the key things that we're doing with machine reasoning is being able to uh, create these inference engines, these automation engines that are able to, you know, kind of better work through complex problem spaces and be able to, you know, be able to mimic the human, you know, not human process. And there's a set of underpinning technologies that allow the system to do that. But that's really what we want to focus on with machine, machine re, uh, reasoning itself. And then specifically how we, how our instance or the way we've instantiated that is within the machine reasoning engine, which is part of the DNA centered portfolio of solutions. Okay, so um, you say that the machine reasoning engine is is using uh, well, a, a, like a, a set of information to help engineers uh, streamline their uh, operations. What what should we think about that, or how should we see those streamlinings? How does it help the engineers? I think what we need to clearly define here is that this is not a statistical process. And I want to emphasize that from what Jeff said earlier. This is not a statistical process. We, this is a logical process. And what the machine reasoning engine is doing is that it is mimicking what a human would need to do in order to accomplish or solve a problem. And again, I want to touch back on what Jeff said earlier is that we're solving problems and the network problems today, they're becoming more and more complicated as we make things easier for the users on the front end. And so now, Michael, touching back to the information that we're using, the machine reasoning engine has a multitude of data sets that it's looking at, but then tying back to uh, the breakdown of different um, AI net 
AI analytics that we're looking at, we're pulling back that machine learning. This is being pulled back into the machine reasoning in order to understand problems, look for anomalies in your network. Um, I know Jeff can highlight a little more on this. Maybe the best way to describe it is the, the way the machine reasoning process works is number one, there is a knowledge base or a set of workflows um, that allow, you know, that, that would basically outline the steps a human would take. This is the logic flow that Katie was describing a minute ago that outlined the steps a human would take in order to execute an investigation. And the way a machine reasoning engine differs from what might, people might think of as run book automation technologies is the fact that the machine reasoning engine also is able to incorporate the feedback loops and as, as one workflow completes, it generates an assertion and that becomes an, a trigger that then can chain another workflow. And so systematically, we can work through more and more complex problems, uh, you know, and, and kind of the benefit of that machine reasoning engine, which can take in, as Katie said, like the statistical input, can take in events or triggers, generate a workflow, that workflow can create feedback loops. And then those feedback loops can create subsequent and can trigger subsequent analyses and that you chain all of this together until you've reached a conclusion. And so that's kind of that's kind of the magic of how the machine reasoning engine can work. The benefit of that, of course, is that we're automating uh, what would typically be a very laborious, time consuming, air prone type of process, therefore uh, compressing, you know, kind of the period of time that it takes to do the analysis. So we're able to. Uh, you know, kind of, you know, the, the, the speed of the speed of, of problem identification or of potential, res, you know, root cause analysis to drive uh, resolution or, resil you know, improvement of, of incidents in the network, you know, we're, we're reducing the human latency in those processes. But in addition to reducing the human latency, we also make sure that the analyses are complete. And uh, the other thing is because the machine is doing it, we can do the analysis at the time of failures, for example, Instead of having the delay, you know, between when something happens and when we start to go and do the investigation, and by then we've potentially lost all of the all of the details that are needed to troubleshoot the network as well. And so that's kind of a key thing about the machine reasoning engine is it's it's driven on a knowledge base. It's a logical expression. It has the feedback loops. It's a, it's able to chain analyses together, and it really helps to um, you know empower. Uh, kind of like experienced uh, network engineers and practitioners to troubleshoot more complex problems more quickly. And it is also able to help more inexperienced engineers be productive much more quickly. So maybe I can pause there. And, and Shai, I think you had some additional sort of uh, direction on the question. Yeah, no, I mean, this, this is very exciting, especially, uh, for example, uh, we operate a fairly large network with uh, over 300 uh, uh, network closets and all that. So when you're trying to isolate an issue sometimes, uh, a vast majority of the time is just trying to find and investigate and find uh, the, the right uh, switch to interrogate uh, if the issue indeed exists there. And I think the fact that you're getting the real-time data and you're able to very quickly point to the smoking gun, you're really taking a lot of the, uh, the investigating time out of it, which I think is, is very, very important. Uh, because let's face it today, today people expect the network to be on all the time. No one is willing to tolerate the network outage or an issue uh, nowadays. 
Uh, but I do have, uh, I guess, a uh, question to add to this. Now, uh, in general, today, uh, you're collecting a lot of telemetry from a lot of the network equipment. So are you able to be specific enough with this telemetry to also identify uh, different issues and, and, and known, uh, known features within the platforms in order to augment and be much more precise with the MRE based on the platform? Yes, very much so. And as we collect more, our database will only grow and become even stronger and better at detecting these anomalies. Um, obviously, telemetry is a newer subject and um, implementing it hasn't, it isn't going to be correct the first time. It isn't going to catch everything for the first time. But as that telemetry grows in, on the back end, we will be able to better our machine reasoning engine. Now, do you have to have in DNA Center the uh, set up and configure the uh, AI machine learning in order to leverage this, or will this work uh, independently within DNA Center? So the MRE is is a is part of the overall DNA Center solutions, and so you know, Shai, the, the kind of the key thing is is it's available just as part of uh, how we're bringing our control, you know, making the controllers available for you know software defined networks. The key thing is, is, is you were talking a minute ago about the incorporation of telemetry data. And really, telemetry can be used in a couple of ways, right? So number one is we pull in telemetry or sensor data from the network. We're constantly analyzing these real-time data streams. And we use the machine learning algorithms of DNA Center in order to personalize anomaly detection of these incoming uh, data streams. And if we see something that's anomalous, and when it, you detect an anomaly, you just know that it's a, de it's a deviation from the norm, whether it's good or bad is, is a judgment call, but we detect the anomaly, and that becomes a trigger that oftentimes will trigger then an MRE flow, which is the investigative workflow. When the MRE investigative workflow triggers, then we're going to logically step through the troubleshooting process, and we can take advantage, for example, of telemetry data in the troubleshooting process itself or sensor data in the troubleshooting process in order to apply judgment, uh, in order to guide the actual workflow or the decision-making. So, for example, if we were wanting to troubleshoot, um, you, know, you know, power supplies or, you know, looking at the kind of, you know, other types of information associated with, with uh, either power over Ethernet you know, we may be using uh, the telemetry and sensor data directly as part of the troubleshooting flow as well. And so it kind of, it can, it can be used in two different ways as part of automating that entire investigative process and root cause determination or, you know, predictive analysis. Um, yeah, so you, you were uh, talking about uh, several different triggers that, that cause MRE to uh, to react to something. Um, what what kind of triggers uh, are there? What will MRE uh, trigger on? Or what kind of workflows um, are available at this point? I, I know uh, for a fact uh, that currently there is a, um, a security workflow. So it triggers on uh, uh, P-certs and stuff like that. Yes. That would be our security advisories. Um, I'll, I'll take this off. Uh, so the machine reasoning engine was first introduced in 1.2.10.0, and it began with our spanning tree protocol loop. Um, and what you were just speaking of is the security advisories, which is one of our more popular workflows. Um, 
And the security advisories is just an example of um, how we are proactively allowing you to uh, view your network. And the SDP loop is more of a reactive. So right there, we we can detect both. We can help you with both proactive and reactive situations. Um, and the machine reasoning engine, it not only detects anomalies, but we can troubleshoot problems and we can do root cause analysis um, and do compliance checks. Um, the, we do currently support seven workflows. Um, I mean, they span from the high CPU, the power supply interface down, uh, fabric data collection, and the one you mentioned um, earlier, which was the spanning tree protocol loop. Aside from that, uh, I work in a, a lot of different environments, each with their own uh, very specific set of problems that they might encounter. I, I work in healthcare, education, uh, enterprise businesses, and they, they all have, well, of course, a lot of uh, common issues, but also uh, specific issues. Is it possible for a partner or a customer to create his own workflows? That's not available yet. So currently we do have an internal tool that our subject matter experts use. Uh, we do hope to expand that to our partners in the future over DevNet. So um, I'm, I'm kind of looking at uh, some of these workflows and you know we've kind of talked, uh, I mean, in the past a lot about self-healing networks. And one of the big things I see here, I mean, certainly there is, uh, uh, eliminating a lot of the troubleshooting time, but at some point as we build confidence in this, it, I mean, is there also the possibility of at some point allowing DNA Center, for example, to self-correct and self-heal the network without human intervention uh, as a true intent? So absolutely, uh, Shai. So kind of one of the key things, we talked a little bit about this. And so the idea is, can you identify the problem or at least you have evidence that there is a problem in, an unknown problem inside of a, a network environment in the infrastructure and the fabrics themselves. Then what happens is, is there's oftentimes multiple potential underlying root causes. And the MRE is a very key technology in order to automate the troubleshooting and working through all of the possible, uh, you know, potential underlying root causes and iteratively either confirming or or being able to discard that as an underlying root cause until we're able to work through and identify the underlying problem. Once you once you identified the problem, then you know the, the the output of the MRE engine is to assert, and in this case, it asserts this underlying root cause, which can then be the input to the next flow or the next action, which could be triggering the remediation action, which would then be an in collection that would start to create the closed loop process. For a, for a self-healing network. So from, you know, anomaly detection, underlying root cause analysis, pinpointing the problem, and then being able to orchestrate uh, the response. And so this is kind of a key, uh, key tech under, this is a key foundational technology in terms of creating the closed loop self-healing environment. That's very exciting. I mean, I, I think because uh, so many times, I mean, now, uh, if the network can heal itself, uh, especially like off hours, we don't have people working. Uh, I mean, it brings immense amount of value. Now, is are there any, uh, I guess, timing estimates that you, that's been collected about, for example, how much time uh, are we able to actually shave off troubleshooting uh, using MRE? For example, like on a spanning, uh, a spanning tree issue. 
All right. So, so Shai, you know that one of the biggest challenges in any network environment is at the layer two where we have the spanning tree protocol or STP is if we end up with an SP, STP loop or we can generate a broadcast storm. And that is, that is so destructive in terms of, you know, network performance and, and being able to, uh, you know, be able to communicate across the network. And so the challenge, of course, is traditional methods of troubleshooting an STP loop is that the CCIE has to log in device by device, looking up the, you know, the table and looking at how, you know, the, the, the L2 is forwarding information in order to pinpoint where the loop is happening and then to be able to change the, um, you know, the, you know, kind of how we, we have the connectivity. And so the, 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 what we're able to do with the, like the, with the MRE uh, workflow or the knowledge base around STP loop or storm detection is be able to automate that entire troubleshooting process, being able to identify where we need to break the STP loop, and then also being able to recommend that configuration change and then helping support making that change. And you can take what literally could take, you know, hours and sometimes even days in complex networks, uh, and especially flat complex uh, L2 networks, and be able to, you know, be able to do that in a matter of minutes as the STP process executes uh, automatically and at scale. And, you know, and, and so that's a that's an example of a tremendous improvement in terms of mean time to identification and then being able to support, uh, a, you know, kind of mean time to repair in a very short period of time. So, you know, every workflow is going to have a different sort of kind of lever on, you know, the productivity of labor. But STP um, uh, broadcast storms and loop detection becomes a very important. Uh, that one has a very high uh, and very high efficiency, actually. Jeff, you said it very well. Um, one thing I do want to add, though, is that something unique that MRE can do for our user is be, due to these broadcast storms, um, a device may become unreachable. And with MRE, we are able to assist even unreachable devices. And we will look back at that history or that ML that we were discussing earlier, and we can provide you a list of possible devices that we believe are a part of that loop. Really sounds awesome. I, I think the other thing that's, that's really kind of cool, I notice, and it's kind of a human behavior that this helps, is a lot of times there's a big outage. I mean, for, sometimes there's kind of the panic of people kind of the stress, the manager is involved. And uh, and now also, as you kind of go through some of these workflows, it gives you kind of a, a, a methodology of, you know, here's what we think going on, and you have the different troubleshooting steps. And I think it really helps uh, people operate under pressure, which also kind of takes this like human, uh, uh, human emotion out of it and help you be very precise with your operation. I, I want to key in right there. Um, and you said one of the benefits. It it really does save our engineers time, whether they're seasoned or they're new. Um, and it, even with that, if you think about it, if we have a seasoned engineer and all they have to do is run this workflow by a push of a button, like the amount of work on the back end that they would have had to do, it's incredible. Um, some other benefits that machine reasoning offers through each of these workflows is, again, reducing that mean time to repair or mean time to detect. Um, it enables diverse hiring. You don't have to have that specialized individual in order to uh, accomplish this workflow. Um, there's no need to escalate to hire engineers. And there's even fewer attack cases. I mean, the list goes on. Um, I'm curious to ask Shai, Michael, like, how has MRE helped you thus far? 
I think, I mean, for us, it when you have an issue, I think it just creates a more consistent way of how we go about troubleshooting by following the workflow uh, on the network, especially when you have something like a high CPU. Uh, it's uh, uh, because what I find is uh, different engineers have like their own way of how they go about troubleshooting the issue. So it depends on who you hand it out to. Uh, one of them may go about it the right way. And I, I really like just the consistency that we were kind of like when you call TAC, TAC is going to make you follow a very specific workflow. Let's go A, B, C, D. And we're doing the same thing here, making sure that we don't miss a step because sometimes that step, is, I mean, is there for a reason and is very, very critical. Yeah, the thing I see here in the Netherlands is the, uh, well, the difficulty of getting qualified personnel. I think I, I can imagine that's the same in, in the States. Um, and having uh, MRE help you uh, save time on troubleshooting means that the uh, qualified personnel can be uh, put to use to do, well, other work like designing networks, like implementing new uh, environments. So being able to um, move some of the uh, more senior staff on, onto other functions and roles is a is a big help. Absolutely. So, Shine Michael, I think when the, when you talk about the ways that in, in you know in our discussions previously, I would say generally there's probably five key benefits uh, to using something like um, you know you know machine reasoning in network operations today. So, one of the challenges that operational teams have is that you know, networks themselves are dynamic and they're self-organizing. And so whenever there's a failure, the latency to trouble, you know, to start the troubleshooting process, you know, oftentimes we'll lose the um, kind of the, the data sets or potentially we can lose the information that we need in order to actually be able to troubleshoot uh, kind of a failure in a, in, a, in, a, in a network. And so one of the key things about automation technologies and especially machine reasoning is it responds, you can, it starts to respond immediately, right? And so you can always, you can think of it as like a digital always on network operations team and it immediately starts the troubleshooting process. The second thing that it does is that it can, because it's able to do it at machine speed versus the human, you know, human speed, but because we're able to execute the, you know, the knowledge base at machine speed, it compresses the time to do the troubleshooting as well. So it's always on. Uh, it, it does the investigation at machine speed. Um, because it's, uh, you, know, you know, standardized, uh, I think, Shai, to your point about the differences in the troubleshooting process between engineers, because it's standardized, we, have, we can ensure the completeness of the analysis based on the knowledge base itself and, and that it'll be consistent and repeatable. The, the fourth thing that it's able to do is we're able to collect all the artifacts from the investigation and archive that information for any type of GRC process that's necessary or offline, um, you know, problem management type processes that might be necessary. And then finally, it's the predicate to the closed loop process. So to the extent that we can actually identify a concrete underpinning root cause, it now has the ability to then lead to the, you know, to the response or the recovery actions. And so it's the predicate to the closed loop process. So this is kind of the operating benefits of using a technology like MRE. Now, the, the um, inference of that, though, of course, is it helps to 
take very, you know, it helps to improve the effectiveness of, of you know, kind of new engineers that are still learning the practice and the trade. Uh, it helps to give, you know, more leverage on kind of seasoned engineers. And it actually is starting to open up a really important thing in, in network operations, which is what do we, how do we evolve the professional discipline of network administration and engineering? And a lot of what's going on there is towards automation. So how do we evolve our experience and our skill set in, you know, towards automation in terms of being able to automate the troubleshooting processes? Um, you know, anytime there's configuration changes that need to be made as part of a DevOps process or an IT service management process, how do we link those sorts of inputs or requests for change into automation of the network itself? And so this is a really kind of a key part of the technology as we see that networking engineering and network uh, administration teams are evolving their skill sets uh, into automation as well. And so this is something that's pretty exciting with that. I wanted to dive back a little bit into the AI and ML aspect. Uh, so, I mean, uh, you, you talked about how AI and ML uh, are sort of part of the driving engine for MRE. And I know there's a couple learning modes for AI. Now, how are you using input uh, back from the customers to know if uh, this is really helpful or not? So you can, uh, you can use the, the customer's input and feedback to improve the algorithms. Because I think that's very important. Yeah. So, Shai, do you mean like, for example, supervised versus unsupervised learning? Precisely. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So it makes, makes a lot of sense. And so one of the things that we're definitely doing within, um, so whenever you use, whether it's supervised or unsupervised, is you train an algorithm, right? There's typically, there's the formula. And what we're actually determining is the coefficients of the formula. And so once we take an initial training data set, uh, for, for example, like supervised uh, uh, learning, then we'll tune the algorithm. And then what you have to do is you have to worry about like either, you know, market drift in terms of the data sets. And so you're constantly pulling together sample or training data sets and retraining your algorithms and, and looking for bias, for example, in the algorithm. And that's kind of one thing. Where we're actually working also in the network, though, is we have a formula, but we're personalizing it. So it's unsupervised learning with respect to a specific network, personalized to your network. And so it's going to take, you know, there's a period of time, about one week's worth of data where we, we take that week's worth of troubleshooting data and we use it to train the algorithm and start to determine what is a normal pattern of, of usage within the network. But we constantly um, recalculate and retrain those algorithms over time. And that way, what we're always looking for is, an is anomalies. So something changed. Again, you don't know if it's good or if it's bad. All we know is that it's changed. And then that becomes the trigger by which to raise it for review. And then, of course, you can decide whether if, it, if, if you agree that the anomaly or the change represents a process shift towards something negative, then you'll want to act on that. Otherwise, you'll continue to allow it to go. But the algorithm itself will continue to update and retrain itself over time. And so that way it, it stays as current as possible to your personalized network environment. Katie, uh, I guess as a product manage, manager for this, uh, I guess my question for you is, what are you excited about, uh, you know, that, that, about this, about this uh, MRE that you'd want to share with the listeners? Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Shai. Um, that's a great question. I would have to say that right now we are creating so many workflows and it's great. But I think really looking into the future when we talked about releasing this to our partners and getting their input and help and feedback um, with these workflows, I think that's what I'm most excited about because 
the workflows that we have are just the building blocks of what could come. And releasing this on DevNet and using those uh, workflows that we have now as uh, the foundation, I'm excited to see the complex workflows that we can help bring about to solve problems. Great. I think that's wonderful, right? Helping people solve problems. It's always a, it's always a wonderful feeling, right? Because you're making an impact, which, and, and also changing human behavior, which I think is a very big definition for innovation. Um, so if we um, go back a bit to the operational uh, point of view for what, what Emory can mean for, uh, for operations teams, like uh, the uh, MSP that has a lot of customers that they need to manage. Each of those customers probably already has uh, DNA, but they might not have uh, MRE yet. Um, so, what can we expect from uh, from like an operational uh, point of view? Can we, for example, integrate the results or the the um, events from Emory into uh, ITSM like ServiceNow. So I'm gonna. I'll start and then I'll let Jeff take off. Um, currently, yes, we do. We can integrate with ITSM. Does Emory um, intercept that trigger or event? No, not at this time. But we will in the future. Um, Jeff, did you want to continue off on that? Thanks, Katie. So with DNA Center today. Uh, we actually have a very robust integration with IT service management tools, specifically, for example, with ServiceNow. That integration is really uh, kind of in three dimensions. So one is around uh, bi-directional synchronization of the CMDB. So the network topology and the CMDB and how do we keep a, a shared view of the managed uh, CIs or network elements. So that's kind of one part of that integration. A second one is from DNA Center. Whenever we have an, we generate an event or an incident inside of DNA Center, we can automatically open a corresponding trouble ticket and keep the bidirectional synchronization between the DNA Center uh, event and incident and the trouble ticket that's being tracked inside of the service now. And then thirdly, of course, we have an integration as part of our automation technologies through the, the change advisory board or through the you know, configuration and change uh, processes. So now let's come back to the discussion of the integration between the event and the trouble ticketing system. So anytime there's an event inside of DNA Center or an incident, that is a, that's a trigger. One thing we do is we open up the trouble ticket. The second thing is we can, that same event, triggers or has the potential to raise up for, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, for either an automated or a manually deployed MRE uh, investigative process. And so today, uh, the event creates the trouble ticket, it can generate the, the, you know, investigative process, and that part of the integration is working. What Katie was describing is the actual investigative workflow process can also have an interaction and this is the part that is, you know, kind of part of what we're going to be doing uh, going forward in the roadmap is allowing the workflows themselves or the, you know, the knowledge base and that, that workflow, associated workflow to be able to interact with the trouble ticketing system, uh, enrichment, augmentation, things of that nature. So that's, you know, it's, it's a, a bit more of a, a nuanced answer, but that's what's possible today. So I have a question kind of going back and looking at Cisco uh, as a whole, not just within the uh, the context of networking, but uh, I mean, there's a lot of different domains. Uh, we talked about we have the fabric, the network, but now we have the data center. Uh, I can see a ton of value 
uh, to this in some of the other domains. Uh, what other domains uh, within, within the Cisco you think we may see MRE adding value in, uh, in, in the short term? And I know it's hard to kind of predict that, but uh, I, I see a lot of value there. Okay, so should I, you know, we're, we're making a very significant investment in analytics as a whole. And, the, you know, the way the analytics stack tends to work is you have, an, you know, it's kind of a three-layer cake. One layer of the analytics uh, stack is the ability to collect data broadly uh, from all possible, uh, what we want to call the network domains, whether it's the data center, the campus and the branch, the software-defined WAN, uh, you know, security, etc. So it's broad data collection. You, 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 you bring that together either through centralization uh, or through a hub, which is a referential model. You then have the engines that can operate on that data set. MRE is one of the engines in this middle tier, which is the reusable technologies. And then above that is the application specific, uh, or is the applications by which we manifest that technology out you know, through the various controllers, starting with DNA Center, Longer term with things like DNA Center Cloud, out through vManage, out through ACI and its management of the data center. So this is MRE is part of this reusable analytics platform that'll be that that we look to extend across the whole of the Cisco product line. Um, and you know a good example of where we're taking some of that technology next is is the work that we're doing in partnership with our CX organization. So in, within CX we have like over thirty five years of knowledge about how to troubleshoot network environments and how do we recapture that knowledge and then build that into the knowledge base, which then is persisted or made available through MRE as part of, for example, DNA Center. And it's also a part of how we're gonna bring constant value through, for example, the configuration monitoring and compliance reporting around, you know, into support ended life advisories, P-certs, um, personalized recommendations with respect to P-certs. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. We know that there may be a P-cert associated with a very specific version of iOS. However, it may be with, as an example, the MPLS instance of that iOS. If you're not using MO, if you have not configured MPLS, then maybe that advisory, even though you're using that, that version of the iOS, that advisory would not apply to you. And so we can look at actually being much more intelligent about how we can make personalized recommendations. So that's a series, that's some work that's ongoing right now. And we expect to be seeing that value here in the course of the coming year. Really excited about how we can apply MRE, not just broadly across the network domains, across the security domain, but also, you know, in terms of how we're partnering with CX in order to take all of that institutionalized knowledge, encapsulate it and bring it, uh, you know, and make it available through the MRE engine. A bit bit closer to um, to the the uh, DNA environment now. Uh, does it already support uh, wireless? So part of what it's doing today, for example, Michael, is one of the workflows is around troubleshooting wireless authentication failures. Uh, so that's a very specific um, kind of problem that'll present that we can use the MRE in order to do the investigative process and troubleshoot and identify the underlying problems. And, you know, as we continue to develop the knowledge base and build it out, we'll continue to support more and more of the wireless troubleshooting use cases. I have a, one more question here. And I mean, because we keep talking about AI and I mean, in and machine, you know, machine learning and the algorithms. Now, uh, as we use AI more and more, what are some of the limitations that we have from AI within, in the context of MRE? 
anything with AI, we have insufficient data or inaccurate data. Um, and we realize that. And like I said earlier, with the telemetry, as we gain more and more telemetry, we'll be able to make the engine more and more robust. But that is a challenge today, is insufficient data. Um, another limitation that we have is making these processes or workflows um, too generalized or too specific for our user. And uh, Jeff and I were actually speaking about that the other day. Jeff, did you want to add to that before I go on? Yeah, sure. So Katie, so I, I, you know, I think shy what Katie's outlining is the fact that uh, any sort of, you know, the AI approaches, whether it's MLD, you know, deep learning or machine reasoning, they have a dependency upon, you know, the gen, you know, to the extent that we have a knowledge base, you know, is, is how is, do we have, has the knowledge base been abstracted to the right level? So if it's too specific, then the value is going to be very narrow and it'll troubleshoot a very narrow set of problems. If it's too broad, then we may not be able to converge the analysis. And so, you know, making sure that the, um, you know, kind of the knowledge base and the workflows are appropriately generalized. The second thing, of course, is we depend upon the input to that troubleshooting process uh, and we need high quality data. And so the way, the reason why this set of technologies, why, why, you know, analytics is applicable and we're seeing tremendous value as we apply it into the network today is, is not just what we've done on the analytics, but it's also what we're doing around how do we collect the data. And so broad, comprehensive data collection, uh, the use of streaming data sources or, or streaming telemetry from the network ensures that we have high fidelity data upon which to uh, do the analysis and generate the anomaly detection and then to be able to incorporate that and you know that telemetry or sensor data as part of the workflows themselves. So that's that is a complementary but uh, predicate for making sure analytics is successful. And then the other thing that we're doing is we're we're really working closely again with, for example, the you know Cisco CX services, where you know we've got all of these years of experience in terms of, of building up the algorithms and the troubleshooting workflows for all of these these kind of broad networking uh, problems. And so taking that that domain expertise and translating it. Uh, you know, that also becomes kind of a key part of making sure that we have the right generalization of the troubleshooting workflows themselves so that they add value. So we depend upon those things, and that's how we're making sure that we're producing something that's that's reliable and useful for all of our customers. This is just very, very exciting. I, I just thank you so much for your, your time here. Yeah, thank you, Shai, Michael. Um, something I do want to add in there real quick is that um, be on the lookout for a blog post on MRE and some YouTube videos coming soon. This has been another great episode of Cisco Champion Radio. I want to thank all of you out there for listening in today and a special thank you to our guests and Cisco Champion hosts for being a part of today's episode. If you want to learn more about today's topic, look out for those blogs and YouTube videos, um, but also click on the link provided in the podcast description below. And just a reminder, you can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alert alerts on our favorite or our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button now. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. See you next Monday. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.